Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to ADHD History Hour with Margaret. I'm your host, Margaret, and each week I try to make a coherent story out of all the rabbit holes that I fell down that week. Usually, there are rabbit holes about cool people who did cool stuff. What do you think, Sophie? Should we change the name of the podcast to Cool People Did Cool Stuff? Or should we keep ADHD History Hour? I don't know. It depends on how you feel that week. Okay, fair. Well, this week... We have Shireen as our guest. Yay. Yeah. Hi, Shireen. Hey. Hi, Margaret. Thanks for having me back. Anytime. Shireen is host of the podcast, It Could Happen Here. And yes. also has a resume that makes me want to guess whether or not you have particular <laughs> shared mental issues as me. Yeah, I have. I'm not well, to say the least. I Just, think that's clear. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, a, a resume full of a thousand interests. Yeah, Shireen's booked yeah. and busy, always, baby. Yeah, also, I just, like, do not know who I am, so I just continue to flail about. Uh, I, I do know who I am, but I think I'm just, I mean, this is ADHD History Hour. I mean, just lump me right in, that happens. That's that's me. All right. Yeah. Okay. Our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Sup? Sophie! Our audio engineer is Ian. Everyone wants to say hi, Ian. Hi, hi Ian. Ian. And our music was produced for us by Unwoman. Unwoman. I like right. This week, we're going to talk about hunger strikes, the tool used by folks who have no other tools left. And in particular, we're going to talk about hunger strikes in two countries that have faced very similar problems and have developed very similar solutions. Ireland and Palestine. Along the way... We're going to do too much context because I really like context. Okay, here's my theory. Okay, you know how when you're like eating soup, the best part is the crackers that you put in the soup? Uh-huh. This is a universal experience, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, the crunch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the crackers are the context, right? Oh. The soup is the main idea mm-hmm. and the crackers are what you need to digest it well. Yeah, and to leave full. Yes, leave satisfied and sated 
and and it's the empty yeah. carbs when of you're history, here your family <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've ever been around hunger strikers i've only have once i haven't i can't say i have i was once in athens greece this is probably 2011 um i'm very bad at tracking my own travels i think it was 2011 and so i tried to like look up was like hunger strike immigrant hunger strike in greece and it was like there's there's a major one every year basically mm. but i think i was there for the 2011 one and i've talked a bit about the greek neighborhood of exarchia on the show before in athens um i think in the episode about riot dogs but in short it's the sort of anarchist neighborhood of athens uh that has oh. Greater to lesser degrees, it's autonomous from the Greek state and the police. Um, it's a really cool place. There's lots of graffiti, and there's lots of people self-organizing to like feed people and take care of each other. There's like a self-organized park. And the thing that impressed me the most was that I saw the degree to which Greek anarchists and the refugee population were working together um, to help the refugee population. Mm-hmm. I went to one of the many squatted social centers in Greece that has been transformed into a housing and education and a place for self-organization for refugees, mostly from Swana countries. Um, and not only was it free housing, but it was also protection from the Greek police. Because this is like one of the major reasons why the refugees... Well, a lot of people were trying to arrest them, but there were a lot of people who didn't want the police to be able to arrest them. And fortunately... They had all these like self-organized places that the police cannot safely go, right? Mm-hmm. Police can't go to a squat in Exarchia without an awful lot of police. What's a sorry? This mm-hmm. is go ahead. Not not intelligent, but like, what's the the vibe, <laughs> for lack of a better word, of the Greek police? Like, what do do they carry guns? Are they terrible? I mean, all cops are terrible, but you know what I mean. Like, what level of bad are they? So. It's actually funny, I don't remember whether or not they carry guns, but the Greek police, at least most of my information is about 10 years old when I was there. The regular Greek police are like not great, but then there's a, a group of police called the Delta. Oh who no. Are like the, they're actually, I think, the moped cops, but they're like the worst <laughs> cops. And they specifically, a lot of them were or are, I don't know about are, but were members of, I think it's Golden Dawn, the, like the Nazi group. The, wow, like, Nazi political party in Greece. So the police in Athens in particular, but in Greece in general, are like absolutely skew way, way more right wing than the rest of the population. I see. Okay, that's good to know. Did not know that. Yeah, and they would like go in force into Exarchia. Like if you saw police in Exarchia at that time, you saw like 50 police in Exarchia because wow. otherwise they can't really be there. The yeah. Police station there is routinely Molotoved. But yeah, so while I was in Exarchia, there was a an immigrant hunger strike happening, and this particular one was North African uh, immigrants, many of whom had were not recent refugees, but actually had been working for many years in the country until the economic downturn had forced them out of work. And basically the government was like, oh, you're no longer our illegal immigrants who do cheap agricultural labor, so we want you gone. And they were like, this doesn't seem like a fair deal based on the fact that we're the ones who feed you. And Greece was mm-hmm. like, we don't really care what's fair. We're the government, right? This right. is verbatim um, mm-hmm. direct translation. Yeah, that sounds like them. Yeah. So 
the hunger strikers went behind the walls of the into the courtyard of one of these like large squatted buildings, right? And there's so these huge tents, the big old style that in my mind you see like like military style tents, like you know the giant tents that thirty people can sleep in, you know. And there are the refugees. They're lying in the shade, and their hunger striking for themselves, and most importantly for their fellow refugees and immigrants. I was there as an independent journalist, which is not something that I do much anymore, but I used to do. And so I took a bunch of photos, and I had some conversations, not with the hunger strikers, but with like their media representat- representat- representatives. And later, a bunch of them got transferred to hospitals. Hospitals were a contested space, right? So it was like actually kind of cool. There was this major movement in Greece. It wasn't just like the anarchists or whatever, right? There were a lot of people who were openly confrontational with the right-wing policies of the government. So a lot of people, when they would go to the hospital, the police would show up and be like, oh, we want to arrest these people. And the doctors would physically drive out the police from the hospitals, um, which is something I would like to see more of. Yeah. Um, and I don't know it was really moving Um, I saw dozens of people with no recourse but to skirt close to death in order to fight for for dignity and fair treatment Um, and it worked after six weeks uh, of 300 people hunger striking mostly from North Africa it, it shamed the government into action and they won temporary permits I one thing that's like really annoying about this kind of action is that the media usually kind of like drops off and you never like, I don't know what happened to them later, you know? Right, right. I mean, it's also like shame is such a, like the fact that that is what makes the government do anything is oh, yeah. so infuriating. Like oh, yeah. we, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. And, and the person that's hunger striking is literally like, on death's door, potentially. Yeah. And the government is just like, ah, this is going to be a bad look. And they do yeah. something. Like, it's so, just the whole, the whole dynamic is, is bonkers. I don't know. Yeah, no, and that's, that's what this episode's about, <laughs> is that dynamic. Um, and, yeah, so, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about Two colonized countries that have a long history of cooperation and solidarity, Ireland and Palestine. And one of the reasons I want to tie these two together, one, they're both actually just very natural places to talk about hunger strikes. Mm -hmm. But two, I think that a lot of American society, especially white American society, seems to think that the Irish anti-settler movement is legitimate, but the Palestinian one isn't. And I don't agree with that. So I'm going to make a lot of comparisons between the two today. No, I think it's necessary. Also, like, I don't know. I don't think real people realize the connection or the similarities usually because they think yeah. it's like, oh, that's like a brown person problem, and this is like, this is different, you yeah, know? Totally. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I'm glad you're bringing it up because they're so related, if not extremely similar. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. And yeah. I feel like people that go through something like that are always going to be in solidarity with each other because they understand. Uh, at a level that most people don't. So I'm yeah. glad you're doing this episode. Cool. No, I, I'm I'm glad. Yeah, like I, I didn't, it's not in the script, but I ended up like reading a bunch of um, like Palestinian immigrants in, Ire- in Ireland being like, oh, this is like the one place in Europe where I can walk down the street and see Palestinian flags and like, yeah, you know, feel 
comfortable. Obviously, Ireland, like everywhere, is dealing with some right-wing bullshit right now. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lot going on with people fighting against um, right-wing Irish nationalism and all of that. But that's sort of beside the point. Yeah. It is. It is. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I'm just thinking like how fucked up it is that the only time a Palestinian or like so like can feel comfortable is if a country has also experienced like something terrible like they did. You know what I mean? Like that's the yeah. only reason they can feel like they can be Palestinian is because, Oh, this country also went through some fucked up shit. Like all the other countries probably are just like, it's like that. That's it's like the annoying, uh, you only care about something when it affects you thing, but like totally. country version. Yeah. And it's just so totally. silly to actually see that happen. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So to talk about the hunger strike, we're going to talk about ancient Irish legal customs. Great. Mm, crackers in the soup. <laughs> the hunger, this is a weird comparison to make since this whole thing is about not, eat, whatever, anyway. So. It's too late. You're on the train. You have to continue going on this train. <laughs> the hunger strike is probably as old as society. And I can point to it. One of the places I can point to that easily is, is in Ireland. There's a Brehan Law, which is the pre-colonial legal system of Ireland. And I promise I didn't go out of my way to find out to work it into this episode, even though it's come up a bunch of times recently on this show. There's, there's a bunch of written records of Brehan Law, but it's also impossible to translate with certainty because it's, it, it was not a particularly uh, write things down culture. And okay, there's lots of reasons, right? But Overall, the idea seems to have been passed down successfully throughout history. And I think it's neat. And hunger strikes are literally written into ancient Irish legal code. So to talk about the law system in general of like, this is the sort of pre-Christian and up to early Christian, actually up to different parts of Ireland, it was up to like the middle of the like 1500s and, and some places up to about 1900, you had elements of this law. Individuals didn't have absolute ownership of land. Instead, lands were owned by the larger clan and then divvied up. And sometimes they were divvied up equally, sometimes hierarchically, but everyone had access to a whole bunch of common land, including pastures, but also some pastures, but also all the forests, mountain bo- mountains, bogs, and wastelands. And then a lot of the decision-making would happen at these huge assemblies that would meet in graveyards because Ooh. their entire legal system grew out of funeral practices because the Irish Whoa. have goth in their blood. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That is just sick. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and then also, really interestingly, most crime and punishment was not up to the state. Uh, like the clan leaders or king or whatever the fuck, right? Only political crimes were handled by the state. If you're trying to like overthrow the government, the state's like, eh, it's kind of about us. We should probably do something, right? Mm-hmm. All other crime, like stealing shit and murdering people and all that kind of stuff, was handled by a sort of non-state court. A jury of peers would investigate the crime and then bring their findings to a judge. And the judge was a, a brejon. And who would decide the right, or, right and wrong of it and then mete out a punishment. And the brejons would like, the judges would like go different places sometimes. It's different. It changed over time, right? Like sometimes they were mm-hmm. more formal, sometimes they were less formal. For a while, anyone could be a judge as long as they were like a learned guy. I don't know if it was men mm-hmm. only or not. Actually, there's like weird gender in ancient Ireland was way more equal than most of 
the rest of, of history. Of course it was. But it was also not perfect, you know? Right. Um, better better than most. Yeah. But not perfect. Yeah. Um, and then, so later, so originally any, and at least any dude who was like considered learned could become one. And then eventually it was, you had to study for 20 years in order to be one. 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> what do you study for 20 years? I guess you just... I don't know. It's probably a combination of ethics and like precedent and social norms and all kinds of shit. It seemed to work fairly well. Okay. They, um, most punishments weren't vengeance based. There was capital punishment existed, but it was like really rare in some places in the old myths and stuff. They'll be like, Oh, anyone who kills someone must die or whatever. But that was like actually rarely what happened in practice. Um, other high level, Punishments were banishment and gouging out the eyes. Oh, um, but these were not so different. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? These were not common. Usually mm-hmm. it was basically debt. Um, okay. Now you owe this family like some of your land, some of your chickens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had chickens or not. Uh, some of, you know, some of your money, whatever. There's no cops. There's no prisons. Or rather, there's no public prisons. For some really bad crimes... If you're in debt and can't pay it, you become a slave to the other family until your debt is paid. Oh. And then you go free. So it would be like, instead of prison, it's like, well, now you're in prison of, you killed this family's kid, so now you've got to like serve them for five years. I, I don't know. Honestly, specifics. that does not make sense to me personally, but. It doesn't like, make sense or it doesn't not it make does, sense? It doesn't not make sense. Yeah, like, no, it, I mean. It's, it's like, if you're, if you're going to, just just to if we yeah. pretend that someone did a terrible thing to a family, the least they could do is serve the family for yeah. redemption. You know what I mean? So I mean, it's better than fucking throwing someone in prison for twenty years. Yeah, they just like learn how to do crime and have a horrible life and are tortured. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and usually though, it was like, all right, you lost your lands, or you got to give up some cows or whatever to to these folks. It was fairly, the reason that there wasn't capital punishment much in it, I think, this is a little bit my inference, it was a successful method of stopping like revenge killings and mob rule, right? Mm. All without the interference of an actual state or a specialized roles besides the judges. And if the judge, the one who studied for 20 years, if he gives a, he gives a ruling that later people overturn, um, the judge often loses their job for good Hmm. because they're like oh you actually did it's like you had to study for 20 years because you have to get this right you can't fuck this up right you know i i mean i think i was thinking about it as after we said 20 years thing and Mm -hmm. it feels like they're just waiting for the person to get older like to be like older and wiser you know like oh you have to wait at least 20 years because your brain needs to evolve a bit and then you can make decisions but it is interesting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I... I mean, like, I have, like, notes. This isn't, like, a no-note situation, but, like, <laughs> it sounds better than what we live with currently by, like, a oh, fucking yeah. order of magnitude. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, and so what does it have to do with hunger strikes? I'm glad you asked my own script. Well, Ireland... What does it have to the, do with hunger strikes, Margaret? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Ireland and India had really specific and interesting overlaps in this ancient law. 
And one of them was the right to redress by fasting, by hunger strike. So if you've, if you've been wronged by someone who's socially above you, like a clan leader or king or whatever the fuck, it sure is hard to enforce because, um, like, you know, there's no cops, right? And, like, you're not going to be able to come up with as strong of, like, a posse as, as the mm-hmm. other guy is. So there's Triscod, fasting. And it is the legal process of show up at your better's doorstep, wait outside refusing to eat until he is socially shamed into complying with the judgment against him. So shame is the driving force yes. here across the board. Yes. And and it'll come up a couple times in this, but the it's not make someone change their mind. It's not change their heart. Mm-hmm. It is shame. It is yeah. embarrass them in front of their community it's not i don't want to see this person die it's i don't want people to think i'm terrible yeah exactly okay and then i fell down this rabbit hole i was like why the fuck is it india and ireland are the two places with this written into their ancient legal codes Mm -hmm. um well and i get really annoyed okay so like a lot of people who want to talk about like similarities between far-flung cultures are conspiracy minded and like talking about aliens and like just like not on a page that I'm really interested in or like really interested in some like racial myths that I have just like no fucking uh-huh. time for. Right. Yeah. But the best explanation that I've been able to find, you've got Indo-European languages, right? This is the the larger family tree of languages that 46% of the world speaks as a first language. Everything from English and Irish to Italian, to Bengali, to Farsi, are all um, Indo-European languages. They almost certainly originate from a language that gets called Proto-Indo-European. People like to argue about where that came from, but currently the sort of scientific consensus is that it came from the Pontic-Caspian Steppe, which is a region that covers like Ukraine to Kazakhstan, kind of like near the Black Sea and shit, Mm -hmm. where the Yamnaya people lived around 3000 BC. And then it spread out from there. And it spread out so well because the Yamnaya people might have been the first horseback riders in the world. Whoa. Yeah. I decided not to go down a huge rabbit hole about horses, but one day. One day? Yeah. I would love that. (laughs) I was like, my like horse girl friend was like explaining Got really excited about every time I do any research, she's able to tie it into horses in one way or another. And this one was like really easy. Um, horses, I mean, I love horses. I I will always remember this one comment, this random person. I don't even remember who made this comment, but it was someone in a circle of friends or something. And they were saying that like something, I was just saying something about how, oh, I was really upset because in medieval times, it really feels like they abuse the horses or like they drug them up or whatever. They seem so miserable. Yeah. And then the, the person was like, well, horses are meant to be ridden on by humans. Like that's where they're, that's why they're there or whatever. Like something indicating that like the horse is on this planet yeah, yeah. to have a human on top of it. Uh, and I got so pissed. <laughs> and I, my main personality trait is that I'm angry. I hide it very well, but I'm usually very angry all the time. Uh, and I got so mad and I was like, what do you fucking mean? Like, it's a horse, yeah. it's an animal. Yeah. It, it would have been here if us. you weren't here. Yeah. So I don't know. Horses, I think are 
beautiful creatures, and I would love a horse rabbit hole one day. Yeah. Sorry for that tangent. I just always think of that and I get so mad. No, no. I'm, I'm like making a mental note that when I do a horse episode, I should have you as the guest. <laughs> so if, there, if there's this Indo-European culture, then some of its furthest fringes, the furthest it gets, some of it is Ireland and India, right? Northern India. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the more conjectural part of this. At the fringes, older traditions hand, hang on longer because they're not as like often conquered, right? Ireland wasn't conquered by Rome, so Roman th- stuff didn't replace Irish stuff the way that Roman stuff replaced like ancient British stuff, for example. And this hypothesis is used to explain a bunch of overlaps between Celtic and Vedic culture and cosmology, Vedic culture being ancient Hinduism, basically. There's some differences there, but... And again, anything that's like, learn about ancient religions and their overlap, I'm like taken with a fucking grain of salt. So I'm not like coming in hard being like, but it sure is interesting that there's a ton of linguistic mythological overlaps. And in this particular case, the right to redress by, by hunger strike. Mm-hmm. But of course, Ireland and India aren't the only places where hunger strikes happened historically. They also happen in our, uh, no, no, it's usually, we're actually sponsored by people who give us food, give, well, sell people food. Um, uh, advertisers, here they go. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back. So, what is a hunger strike? It it's fairly self-evident, I think. I'm I'm guessing it's when you refuse to eat until your demands are met. It falls into the larger category of nonviolence, nonviolent resistance. And I think people tend to under, misunderstand nonviolent resistance. We've talked about some nonviolent resistance on this show. I admit that sometimes we've talked a little bit more about the violent resistance, but we'll continue to talk about nonviolence resistance on this show too. To understand the traditional conception of the hunger strike, I'm going to turn back to Ireland because there's this Irish writer. This guy actually sucks. 
His name's Yates. He's a piece I of like shit. That you pre- I like that you preface it with that so I can know exactly what I should be thinking when you're saying it. But <laughs> yeah. This guy sucks, just FYI. And this is the context. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like I love um, Yates' poem, The Second Coming. But it's like, I love it because it's about everything falling apart But he and it presents it as if it's bad. And I'm like, yeah, the center cannot yeah. hold. Mere anarchy is loosed <laughs> upon the world. What yeah. rough beast slouching towards Bethlehem? Like, I'm into it, but like... It's like a to-do list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> um, Yates uh, was always... I mean, he was like... A, being an Irish nationalist is actually very complicated. It wasn't, it's not necessarily a right-wing position, like any anti-colonial nationalism. But later, he just was a fascist. He just was like, man, democracy sucks. Hitler's great. Support the blue shirts, which were like Ireland's fascist movement. Mm. So he sucks. But... He summed up the hunger strike really well in his play, The King's Threshold. This is a line from The King. And now I kind of like, I haven't read the whole play. I kind of wonder whether he's like actually trying to talk shit on hunger strikes and he's just making it seem cool, you know, because that seems to be his thing. Right. The King says, he has chosen death, refusing to eat or drink that he may bring disgrace upon me. For there is a custom, an old and foolish custom, that if a man be wronged or think that he is wronged and starve upon another's threshold till he die... The common people, for all time to come, will raise a heavy cry against that threshold, even though it be the king's. Hmm. So yeah, it's it's not about making someone have a like ghost of Christmas past revelation that they were like on the wrong side of history and like they should be nice to people. It's about being like, not only will everyone hate you, but like a thousand years from now, people are still gonna fucking hate you. You know? Yeah. That's pretty strong. Hatred is strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is. Mo- it is. Well, I know it's your primary um, <laughs> emotion as you've expressed, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's there. It's, yeah. It's, it's ever um, present. I want to contrast it with a quote that I think is a true quote by future friend of the pod, Asada Shakur. Um, and this is from her autobiography. The quote is, nobody in the world, nobody in history has ever gotten their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of the people who are oppressing them. Mm. And people use that quote to dismiss nonviolence, but I think this is an important quote with which to understand nonviolence because it it isn't about appealing to the moral sense of people. Because like when cops like getting beat up by cops doesn't make cops feel bad, you know? Right. Um, and it doesn't make the people who sent out those cops feel bad. The answer to how do you sleep at night is usually like a baby in my McMansion that I bought with the money I made by hurting people, you mm-hmm. know? But what nonviolence is ostensibly capable of doing is shaming the cops and those who sent them out um, in front of their community. And the problem is, I'm into conjecture land here, woo! Uh, in a capitalist society, community is almost meaningless term, right? Um, since money is the primary thing of value, Nonviolence isn't always effective because you can be like, you can be like, I don't care if my neighbors hate me. I have a fucking McMansion, you know? Yeah. So it takes a, a functioning society and a healthy community to allow nonviolence to work at its most effective. Which means that if you don't want the people you're pressing to fucking murder you, you should listen to shame. And anyway, you should let nonviolence work. Hunger strikes as I've seen them, don't tend to work when it's like some random person who isn't in prison or isn't directly oppressed who's just like, I'm going to go on hunger strike until the climate change is solved or whatever, right? 
But when movements of people, especially prisoners or refugees or other people who are in some way unfree, when they do it, it can be powerful as hell. Mm-hmm. Humans can live for a while without food. It's not a good idea. I'm not advocating this. Uh, I think people probably picked up on the content note based on the title of the episode. I hope so. Your body feeds itself with your body fat and then your muscles and bone and your like bone marrow and shit. And sometimes at around, at around usually 60 to 70 days, you die. Uh, sometimes way earlier than that, sometimes longer than that. And a lot of hunger strikers die. You are playing chicken with the government when you hunger mm-hmm. strike. Prisons have dealt with this in a couple ways. One of them, uh, one of the older ways, they don't tend to do this anymore, is that they would just release people when they started to get sick. They did this to a lot of the suffragettes, actually, in, mm. um, in, in England. Uh, suffragettes actually did a bunch of hunger strike stuff that isn't in this episode, and one day I'll cover the suffragettes and how they were in some ways very cool and in some ways not because of the racism, just in case people are wondering why. Anyway, so they would let these people go, and then as soon as they like were healthy again, they'd put them back in prison. You know? Oh my god. <laughs> and then the other way... Like, go eat, and then come back. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, the other way, the newer fangled way, is that they f- put a tube up your nose and down into your throat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1975, the World Medical Association declared that doctors should not force-feed strikers and that it is a t- form of torture. This has stopped almost no one. Whenever international law makes something illegal... It doesn't change anything, maybe? Oh, not at all. (laughs) International law is the most empty bucket of words. Like, nothing actually, like, I don't know. Like, Palestine's a great example of that. You'll hear, like, Israel violated international laws, committing crimes against humanity. Here they go again. Like, that's basically all it is. Nothing actually ever happens. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. EU still won't recognize Palestine, like... Yeah, it's like, oh, Israel is an apartheid state. This is all the organizations that say so. Oh, well, like, it's basically the vibe yeah. of it. Like, yeah. if there's nothing actually, imp- like, um, powerful about international law at all. It's like when um, men acknowledge that their friends are sketchy to women, but don't do anything about it. Oh, you know, wow. like, that's a good comparison. <laughs> I remember, like, one of my friends was assaulted by someone and then their roommate was like oh sorry about my friend he's a titty grabber when he's drunk that's it yeah and you're like all right we've determined you move on. this man is yeah. a titty grabber <laughs> should there be consequences right should we have a talk yeah at least <laughs> yeah, yeah i know like that's international law in palestine <laughs> yep. yeah yeah titty grabbing the the bureau of prisons in the u.s for example says that it is quote It is the responsibility of the Bureau of Prisons to monitor the health and welfare of individual inmates and to ensure that procedures are pursued to preserve life. Mm -hmm. Which is really funny because, like, I have a friend who um, teaches harm reduction and gives out harm reduction supplies and has had to, like, go into prisons and teach teach guards how to use um, uh, naloxone, the reverse OD drug. And the prison guards have it and they just don't use it. They just watch people die because they're all, like... They believe that, the, you know, the cops have that weird, like, folklore that if you're in the same room as fentanyl, you're already dead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, the Bureau of Prisons clearly very committed to Oh, yeah. Life. They care about them so much. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. Some hunger strikers go until they die. Some give up. 
Others, like those North African strikers in the squads of Athens, have their demands met. And first, we're going to talk about the Irish hunger strike of 1981. I have avoided talking about 20th century Irish history for a reason. The reason is that 20th century Irish history is messy as fuck. But considering that the other thing we're going to talk about this week is Palestine, it's just complicated week where... Yeah, yeah. Once Ireland was colonized, you had really clear good guys and bad guys for a while, right? Irish was anti-colonial, like the Irish anti-colonial uprisings, they were good. England was bad. There's some blurriness. There's people who mistakenly frame it as a Catholic versus Protestant thing solely. Uh, The Catholic Church was up to a lot of no good against the Irish Catholics and against other people. And there were right-wing and left-wing tendencies within the different resistance movements. Overall, Ireland good, England bad. Decent way to frame things. If you don't want history to condemn your country with blanket statements, don't be a genocidal colonial power. Until the Irish War for Independence came to a truce on July 11th, 1921. The short version of this truce was that basically there was the Irish War for Independence was happening and they were like, fuck you, get the fuck out of our country, right? And they were doing all right. And then England was like, all right, we're offering you a deal. What if most of Ireland becomes more or less independent, but it's still a dominion of the UK and you like swear fealty to our monarchy. And then we get a chunk of Northern Ireland and it stays formally part of the United Kingdom. And about half the Irish were like, yeah, I could be done with war. This is really bad and it keeps fucking killing us. So sure, mm-hmm. we'll take the deal. The other half were like, are you fucking kidding me? Fuck the monarchy. Also, we get Ir- all of Ireland, not most of Ireland. So they had a civil war. Um, and the right for wrong gets way blurrier at this point. I've got a position in that. My family was anti-treaty, which is to say they fought for a, a unified Irish republic. This was, uh, by and large, the more lefty side of things and the side that I think is better. It's also the side that lost against a force that now had the backing of the English army that they'd just been fighting. So as soon as Michael Collins and those other fucks were like, well, (laughs) from my position, those other fucks were like, oh, we've made a deal with England. They'd just like turn around and use fucking England to crush the people they'd just been fighting alongside of. My my great uncle who fought in the Easter Rising went to his grave cursing the name of Michael Collins, the, the IRA leader who sold out Ireland. Wow. Then Irish politics got real fucking messy for basically the entire 20th century because you no longer have like, now you have Irish versus Irish. Right. Right. And this gets flattened to Catholic versus Protestant, which is a bit of truth, but the more accurate sides are loyalists who want Northern Ireland to remain part of the UK, sometimes called unionists. And then the nationalists who want Northern Ireland returned to the Republic of Ireland. And by and large, the nationalists are actually socialists and lefty and actually many of them are probably internationalists and by and large the you know the other side's more right-wing what were the were there benefits to be i mean there Mm -hmm. had to have been benefits for being with england no from from their perspective i think and i'm not entirely certain i think that there were probably a ton of economic benefits but also it was uh, a lot of the people especially in northern ireland maybe not the majority but a lot of the people were more culturally saw themselves as Anglican, saw themselves as, as oh. coming from England. And you also have it like, it's really messy. Um, I mean, partly in that they're all white, right? So you can't like use like race right. to distinguish. A lot, Northern Ireland had a higher percentage of people who were descended from English settlers. 
right? Mm -hmm. But people don't make a distinction, and it's kind of interesting. People don't make a distinction of someone who is descended from uh, English settlers versus someone whose like family isn't, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when they do make that distinction, it's usually Catholic versus Protestant, frankly. But again, that's a rude exaggeration. There were a ton of Protestants who fought for Irish independence, right? Um, But yeah, no, I actually, I should know more about what the like I mean, economic it's not that you should or not, but like, I mean, it's just, it's just pretty shitty to to be like, oh, well, we're going to fight the person I was just fighting next to because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is (laughs) maybe also silly to ask or Mm -hmm. even say out loud. Are there like, if there's no racism involved, if the color, Mm -hmm. if the color doesn't play a factor, do, do accents play a factor? Like. I like you know how like c- mm-hmm. certain accents indicate you're like from a shitty part of town, quote unquote, yeah. or like you're from this area or whatever. Does that you think play a factor with English versus Ireland or not really? I mostly don't know because I don't know about Northern Ireland where most of this tension is happening. I only know mm-hmm. about it as it relates to um, Ireland as a whole. You have a lot of oppression against the the Gaeltacht, the the Irish-speaking part of Ireland, which is largely mm-hmm. the northwest and the west coast of Ireland. Okay. And I know that there is a, a large cultural difference, but I know more about this in the 19th century than I do in the early 20th century, just based That's on fair. what I've read. That's fair. I'm just kind of yeah. No, no, loud. no. It's yeah. I mean, because like, there's all these times throughout this where you're going to talk about like people machine gunning Catholics on the street, and I'm like, how'd they know they were Catholic? Right. They probably had some way of knowing, and I just don't currently know what that way is. Um, I don't know if they did, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, how do you? Know, how? Well, I mean, it's like if someone's like walking down the street holding a like, I don't know, unless they're like holding a like, thing yeah. like I'm Catholic, like a sign or something. Yeah. Like, no, I don't know, and and what's it? A lot of our listeners do know because a lot of our listeners are Irish. So let us know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but let us know in a polite way instead of a what the fuck is wrong with you way. Um, yeah. So 1922, nor- the Northern Irish government, the brand new government, passes the Special Powers Act. This is going to be completely unrecognizable to people who study what's happening in Palestine right now, where suspects no longer had to be charged with crimes <laughs> in order to be arrested. What? Yeah. In Ireland? Yeah. Um, in Northern oh, cool. Ireland, which is, you know, the 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 other country, the the the, the conflicty zone. Yeah, and so that sounds about right. I mean, taking tips from Israel, I guess. Yeah, well, I see. Yeah. It's the other way around. Israel doesn't exist at this point. Wait, what? What time are we talking 1922. about? Nineteen right twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was still. I was jumping around in my head. No, no, but it's thank okay. You for, it, for bringing me back to that yeah. area. Well, there's going to be like direct overlap um, later okay. when we get to the sixties and seventies. But yeah, the Special Powers Act mean that suspects could be arrested and flogged without trial. So basically, any cop is allowed to beat up anyone they want. They're like, oh, you're like arrested, now I can hit you. Like, So nationalists got elected in Northern Ireland in 1922 in the like democratic elections. And the government was like, oh, never mind about democracy. And so they just redrew all the lines so that nationalists couldn't get elected, um, which isn't familiar in the United States. Loyalists, and therefore generally Protestants, were given preferential treatment with housing and jobs and shit. The 90% Protestant cops love beating up Catholics and were generally not good. And this goes on. And largely, armed resistance takes a backseat for a while, a couple, a generation or so. 1969, a civil rights struggle by the Catholics in Northern Ireland kicks up. 
And this is a this is a, a civil rights struggle. It's not actually a let's reunite with Ireland struggle. It's a just like, could you stop please beating us all up and giving and discriminating against right. us? Mm-hmm. And this kicks off what's known as the Troubles when the British army comes and occupies the area in response to the civil rights struggle. But you know what won't give you any trouble? It's the the stuff. It's 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 stuff. buy-in stuff. It's just like our it's buy-in almost like our stuff. entire system is set up to allow you right. to spend money that you don't even have. You could go into debt yeah. to buy with whatever comes. That is one thing you can rely on, you know? Yeah. Is how buying things works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good job. That was a great segue. Good job. Thanks. Here you go. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Me. Focus features presents back to black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back. I am struggling to come up with a more British word for 30-year war of occupation than the troubles <laughs> like it makes it sound almost cute un- unfortunately like oh i have the i have the sniffles oh i have the rumbles in my tummy yeah, whatever like that is you know what I mean? that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> had a little I bit of a rough woozies. go of there as you're yeah. like on fire <laughs> yeah um and so soon enough the let's not like, let's just not get treated like shit campaign becomes a actually let's rejoin Ireland campaign. Mm-hmm. The IRA, the Irish Republican Army, which was the name of the military force that won independence from England um, that came out of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. They they have split into a million pieces at this point, including but not limited to the real IRA, the official IRA, the provisional IRA and the National Liberation Irish National Liberation Army. Most of these groups are socialists, but they disagree about things that I'm sure seemed important at the time. Sometimes they shoot each other over these things. And they and a bunch of other folks are now attacking, and have been, but are now especially, they're attacking British occupiers and they're attacking loyalists. And there are riots and there's lots of terrorist attacks. 
on both sides, more than half the people killed in the whole mess were civilians. 52% of the people killed during the Troubles. Um, Which is part of why, like, like, I don't have, like, a lot of communication with my Irish family. But they, like, overall were like, man, we don't want to fucking talk about politics. This is, like, what, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're like, this is just a bad thing that happened, right? To a lot of people's perspective. A majority of the civilians killed in the Troubles were killed by loyalist paramilitaries like the Ulster Volunteer Force, the UVF or by British soldiers. But the IRA absolutely killed a lot of civilians too. Um, the Republican side killed more Republican fighters than their enemies did, which is kind of bad. Right. Um, Why is that? In fighting. Oh, just... We're the real IRA, so, it's in our name. Right. We're the official IRA. Well, we're the provisional. Oh, provisional doesn't actually sound as like tough. That's honestly um, like the most childish bullshit but also, like, with guns. It's like you're mm-hmm. at recess, but with weapons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's... No, totally. <sighs> um, I don't know. But I will say, I was talking to one of my friends about this before we recorded. I don't think that they're to blame entirely. Right, I think yeah. England put them in this position. Like, people talk about, like... I'm just mad about fighting in general. Oh, yeah, I'm no, not blaming totally. anyone. I'm just thinking yeah. fighting is is actually pretty silly when you think about it. Yeah, a lot of times. Especially on your own fucking side. People talk about crabs in a bucket pulling each other down, right? And they'll be like, oh, it's human nature. Crabs in a bucket always pulling each other down. The bucket is not the crab's natural habitat. (laughs) That's a very good point. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if the other side started it, though, is a decent excuse for all of the killing that included a lot of civilians. But the terrorism and civilian murder started with the Ulster Volunteer Force, the Loyalist Paramilitary Group who bombed, they just started bombing Catholic homes and schools and shooting random Catholics on the street. That's what kicked wow. off this violence. So in 1971, the British Army conducted Operation Demetrius, which swept up 342 people suspected of involvement in the IRA. Mo- uh, a lot of the people that they swept up had long since retired from the IRA or had never been involved at all. They also swept up a bunch of the civil rights leaders who had no ties to any violence or even nationalism. And of course, even though the UVF was actually killing way more civilians and had started it, none of the UVF was targeted by this sweep. Because it's not that the British government disapproved of terrorist violence. It's that they disapproved of terrorist violence against the British government. And this only escalated the sectarian violence when all these people got arrested Uh, Folks weren't actually accused of any crime. This wasn't imprisonment. It was internment. And thousands of people were interred as a result of this. Mm -hmm. In 1972, you get the thing that caused you two to write the only good song that they wrote. Which I don't even know if they wrote, but they play. You're going to have to tell me. You two is something that I purposely know nothing about. Okay, great. Yeah, my only- my main my main thing that I know about you too is that they snuck that album on everybody's phone. That's all. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I know and want to know. Unfortunately, yeah. no, and, ba- and Bono wears sunglasses all the time, and he like <laughs> thinks he's my- like saving the world, but he's actually just yeah, yeah, a yeah. liberal pawn. Yeah, no. Um, but they wrote a song called Bloody, or they play. I don't know. Wrote. I didn't look it up. They they have a song called Bloody Sunday. A thing happened in 1972 that's called Bloody Sunday, and there was a protest march. You know, you got all this paramilitary stuff happening, the IRA fighting, all like that. There was also just social movements with thousands and thousands of people who were fighting, but through less clandestine means. And 
And most of this was organized, or a lot of this, this particular march we're going to talk about was organized by the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association, NICRA. And it was a big, peaceful, unarmed march in the city of Derry. Derry was a majority Catholic and, and it was majority nationalist. But it, so because it was Catholic, it had been cut out of public funding. The roads were like fucking gone to shit. And it was basically being like economically mistreated by the loyalist government. So there was a protest march. The prime minister was like, no, you can't have a march. And people were like, why would I care what you have to say about that? We're going to have a march. 10 or 15,000 people marched. The occupying army started by shooting rubber bullets and tear gas. So people started throwing rocks at the army. The army opened fire. They shot 26 people, many of whom were running away or were rendering aid. Every eyewitness besides the soldiers attests to this. The soldiers were like, no, we only shot people who were throwing nail bombs at us, even though there's no evidence of that. I mean, that's classic mm-hmm. what you say, right? Yeah. 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 Rocks. Just, yeah. Yeah, totally. That person threw a rock in my general direction, so I shot his mother. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. And yeah. that's in that case. That's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's that man's fault for throwing the rock. Uh At least one soldier was seen shooting randomly into the crowd, firing from the hip. Hmm. Fourteen people, all Catholics, were killed. Uh, All of them were unarmed. Six of them were boys. One was a 59-year-old man who hadn't been part of the march. He'd just been walking through the neighborhood. and He died from his wounds a few days later. This wasn't even the only massacre the British Army did in Northern Ireland this year. Tens of thousands of people came to the funeral. In the nearby country of actual Ireland, they held a day of mourning, with ceremonies held at both Catholic and Protestant churches, because again, I mean, religion's part of it, but it's not the whole fucking thing like people want us to believe. The largest general strike that Europe had ever seen since since World War II happened as a result of this. Thousands of people marched to the British embassy in Dublin, and they protested with a very respectable diversity of tactics. Some people nonviolently placed 13 coffins on the steps of the British embassy. Other people burned the embassy down. Both acceptable, I think. I agree. Diversity of tactics makes it honestly, and both, both extremely symbolic and poetic. I will go. I'll go that far. I think those are chef's kiss. If you if you can let me say that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, both of those are great. I fully support. The one conclusion that came out of Bloody Sunday for the Irish of the Republic of Ireland and for the nationalists in Northern Ireland was pretty much that the IRA, that paramilitary force, was legitimate and that it was a war against colonial occupation in Northern Ireland. And so so the IRA sees itself as a legitimate army. It does not see itself as like, well, it doesn't see itself as terrorists. It sees itself as an army. Well, of course it doesn't. Yeah. No, I'm... I think that they had a good reason to believe what they believed, and I overall agree with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also don't like when armies target civilians, but yeah, that's it. Doesn't make them not an army. Yeah, also does not make them not terrorists, right? Totally. But yeah, I mean, yeah. both can be true. Yeah, fucking these words are. Anyway, so things are heating <laughs> up. The interred prisoners, uh, they're actually given for a while sp- something called special category status which is basically prisoner of war status. And so the Geneva Conventions applied to them. And how the IRA won that status for themselves 
was force of arms. It was a precondition for any discussion of a truce, right? The government's like, oh, let's like figure this out. And they were like, you better treat our arrested people like prisoners of war before we'll even talk about coming to the table with you. Mm-hmm. So for a little while, you had that. And you had, um, we'll talk a little bit more about like, what that meant in a little bit. But a few years later, the UK was like, eh, what if we stop treating them special? We're like UK and they're just fucking Ireland. Fuck them. In 1976, a fucking baron named Merlin, because the United Kingdom is a fantasy land. Sorry, one more time just for emphasis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this man, his name, he was a baron named Merlin. Got it. Uh, Okay. Spelled with a Y (laughs) instead of an I. Of course it is. Yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. So Baron Merlin. It's like Ashley with a GH. Yeah. He's unique. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he rolled away the rock from his grave. I don't remember enough about what happened to Merlin. I think he ended up with a rock in front of his grave. Um, his name was Merlin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He announces no more special category status. Prisoners are just fucking prisoners. They will have to wear prison clothes and do prison labor and shit. And by the way, the name of the prison was Her Majesty's Prison Maze. No, it wasn't. It absolutely was. There was a nearby town called Maze, right? But like M A Z E. Yeah, no, no Y's in here. Um, just M A Z E. No, so, so not corn, not corn, like the trap version. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's basically a minotaur in the center of Her Majesty's Prison Maze. And this, wow, I, this is, sorry, this, this is just the most British thing I've ever heard in my yeah, life. I know. Yeah. I know. The Troubles, Her Majesty's Prison Maze. Yeah. Like, are, are, Where Baron Merlin uh, has changed the rules. Yeah. If it wasn't so fucked up, it would be like actually hilarious. And I it know. low key still is. I know. Because we can see it, say, like say it in retrospect, but like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Like, if you're going to be the prison in the town of Maze, just be like, Maze's prison or something. Yeah. Don't be prison maze. And don't be Her Majesty's <laughs> prison maze. No. Unless you have a minotaur. Then you can call it that. Honestly, okay, maybe this is crude, mm-hmm. but it could be sexual too. Her Majesty's prison maze. Like, that could be some. there's something there <laughs> that I haven't fleshed out completely. All but right. I think there's something there. Anyway. When we do, we'll have new merch. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so this change of status to where people were now being treated like regular prisoners, it didn't make people happy. And to be clear, actually several times throughout what's going to happen, the prisoners were like, it's not that we want to be treated better than the other prisoners. You should treat them well too. What the fuck is wrong right. with you? But this change of status, it didn't make people happy. And it, it didn't strip the status from previous internees, but it fucked with all the new kids who did something about it, which I'm going to tell you about on Wednesday. <gasps> da, da, wow. da. A maze can be a bush, right? You can have a bush maze. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Shereen. I'm sorry. I'm not. Anyway. Is that the episode? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what you got to plug yeah. besides um, yeah, you got any crude innuendos? Uh, I am. I'm one of the rotating hosts on It Could Happen Here, but the rest of them are are really talented and phenomenal, doing great work. So go listen to that. I have my own podcast called Ethnically Ambiguous that I host with Anna Hosnier. And 
the rest of the stuff you can Google if you want to, but you don't have to. <laughs> um, you can follow me on social if you want. Shiro Hero Instagram, Shiro Hero 666 on Twitter, but I'm actually not there anymore. So maybe you can nice. encourage me to be there. I would never encourage maybe you not. to be to Twitter on Twitter. No. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I mean, on X. On X. Um, God, kill me. We thought Meta was bad, you yeah. know? We thought Threat, whatever. X? Yeah. <laughs> God. It's like Merlin. That's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just as nerdy as being named I think it is Merlin. less respectable than Merlin. I agree. <laughs> At least Merlin had magic. I know. It was in that cute anyway. animated King Arthur that I watched as a kid. Yeah. And his hat was all floppy. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyway. you want to see me probably not dressed up like a wizard, I will be tabling, presenting, and playing at the Asheville Anarchist Book Fair, uh, which is, um, or it's called the Another Carolina Anarchist Book Fair because people are trying to make, I mean, have successfully made clever ACAB puns. And that is August uh, 9th through 13th of 2023 in Asheville, North Carolina. I will be presenting a talk called A Halfway Concise History of Anarchism. So if you like listening to me talk about history, which you probably do if you made it this far, unless you're hate listening, in which case, please don't come to my event. <laughs> but, keep, but keep listening for the numbers, I yeah, guess. Yeah, totally. Set up a little yeah. machine that downloads it. Every, anyway, um, yeah. and... <laughs> And then I'll be playing with my dark pop band solo project called Nomadic War Machine on Saturday night. So I will exist. I'm doing all of my socializing for the year in That's good. two days. That sounds about right. Yeah. Just knock it out. Yeah. Get it and, done. And just stay home. That's Back great. to my house in the mountains as soon as it's over. Just kidding. I can't wait to see you all there. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it out, Ian, right? You could just cut the other part out. <laughs> wink, wink. Sophie, what do you got to plug? Uh, just follow at Cool Zone Media while you still can. <laughs> yeah. On X. Do, are we on, on threads it. yet? I think I'm going to uh, not switch to another no. social media. I think I'm just going to fucking... Here's, what's a, here's what I find so creepy about it. I was like, let me go see what this app is. And it automatically enrolls you. Yeah, I oh did the same thing. I had, and so oh. I don't. I don't. I like technically have an account, but I don't. But I didn't want to. And then it does this weird thing where it like brands you and puts the your like user barcode, like not bar, like user number code what? on your Instagram profile. And it took me a really long time to figure out how to remove that, but I did. Oh Wait. I yeah. So if you sure. yeah. So if you look at like if you accidentally have threads, it's gonna put this weird code thing on. I'm, Wait, I'm, that's so stupid. On your Instagram, and I thought that was really creepy. Far more um, people than I thought were on there, to be honest. And I was yeah. like, oh. And also, it automatically it's because follows it, everybody because it, it automatically enrolls you. Is the problem? Yeah, that's true. That's actually very true. And then it does that weird thing where it puts that code on your Instagram profile, which I find to be really weird. So no, I'm not on threads yet, but I am on threads, but I'm not on threads. And um, that's all I have to say about threads. We'll be back Wednesday, motherfuckers. Sorry, love you. Bye. Forgot what podcast I was on. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.